Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Russ, in in prepping for this podcast that we're about to do, I just kind of reflected on all my years spent in like a traditional church and even on staff for 10 years. And um, one of the things I, I noticed in looking back on all that is that we always shared stories of transformation. Like we even did the whole thing of remember when it was popular, like you lined up a bunch of people and, and you put on like you had a piece of cardboard and on one side was, you know, um, you know, I used to, you know, sell drugs and now I sell hope, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Or you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I used to be, you know, addicted to, you know, painkillers now, you know, set free, you know, by God's grace or like, you know, whatever, whatever it was, it was yeah. all these like stories of transformation. Did you guys ever do that in all your years of pastoring? Yeah, dude. Yeah. The, the <laughs> early days, man, were always, whenever you baptize somebody, you always wanted to give time for their story, but you would coach them, right? You were taught to coach them in their stories so that it was, you know, this difference between this list of behaviors that I used to do yeah and now right i'm now carrying out you know this list of behaviors and yeah. we did the whole thing where you flip the card you know like you're talking yeah. about right yep. like yep. you know sex addict you know what i mean like right right like with one side and then you flip it over and said you know still sex addict <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> but flip it over and you know it'd say something yeah which was you know good and beautiful to be clear totally um, uh, but yeah, dude, there's, there's a whole pile, man, underneath, underneath that. So what I was going to say is we always, we always shared stories of transformation. It's funny that you brought up the baptism thing because our thing was more, um, we wanted just like, we wanted the words to sound right. We wanted it to be like good theology. So we mm. wanted them to say it like exactly, you know, right. Um, so we would, we would coach them too, but it was, it was along those lines. But I thought to myself, you know, we always shared stories of transformation, but we never shared stories of trust amidst unremoved thorns. Yeah. Yeah. We always would platform a story of transformation, which praise God for it. Right. He does it. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he does, it's beautiful. Yeah. People um, finding freedom from things that were harmful. Right. It's yeah. always, you know, a, a beautiful thing. And, yeah. but we never, we never would platform anyone who's just been trusting for 15 years with a nagging thing that just goes unremoved, which is actually probably the majority of people and the majority of our lives. Yeah. These big moments of transformation are, I've, I've found I've experienced them in my mm-hmm. life, but they've been, you know, very few 
and far between. And so I think when we platform, you know, those things, I think that says something about what we believe. And I think we're communicating, you know, something to people, which is this conversation we're about to have right now. Yeah, we communicate, um, as you've said before, the, the expectation of transformation communicates a belief in a God who demands instead of a God who dies. And I think that's what we communicate, right? Yeah. So instead of people in the audience who are all struggling, finding the freedom to be honest about their struggles and learning what it means to, to trust Jesus, they're instead handed a couple of stories where God did, you know, did some really cool work because he just chose to do so for some reason that we don't understand on this side of the veil. Um, and then out of that, right. They get this like to-do list mm -hmm. and, and, you know, almost like, well, man, I wish I had that much faith or I wish I, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, all of a sudden the story becomes about you. If he could do it this for Billy you. and Jamie, he certainly yeah. can do this for you. So man, walk the aisle, come down, trust him make this move toward Jesus yeah. so you can experience this new life and you'd get all wrapped up in the emotion of it because dude, who doesn't want to change? Yeah. I think yeah. everybody wants to change. Like you don't even have to be religious to want to change. You know, we, I mean, we've talked on this podcast a, a ton about the self-help industry and mm -hmm. you know, all that. I mean, everyone's puffing up their lips and getting bigger tits and trying to lose weights and you know, like all this, everyone's trying to change, yep. dude. Yep. Everyone's trying to change. It's been a lot of dollars, a lot of time and a lot of <laughs> effort on that. We do. We do. I, um, yeah, just even recently, man, I was online doing, doing some research on, on a possible, um, breast reduction for myself. <laughs> so, some, some of this, uh, some of this weight I've been putting on with some fried fish and ribs lately, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, and you know, what's funny is whenever I'm in that world and I used to lead out in that, you know, as you said, and you've done, um, you know, in pushing that narrative, we always, always reference scriptures from Paul. We always reference scriptures from Paul, you know, around this whole need for transformation and what's demanded and step up your game and get serious and the devoted this and, you know, you know, the adulterers and fornicators and right. You know, and extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we, you know, throw all these verses in there. And for some reason, forget that this is the same dude who in those same books of the scriptures that he wrote openly said what I know to do, I don't do. And right. <laughs> like what I know to do, that is good. I don't do. And what I know that is not good, I do. Yeah. And then he goes on and talks about this thorn in his flesh, this struggle, this sin that's apparently so grotesque, he won't even publicly say what it is in the letters. And he pleads with the Lord to take it away from him. And God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you in light of what you are currently struggling with. Yeah. Right? I think I, I would have been I would have been served so well as a new Christian, if we would have told more of those, more of those stories. Yes. And so I think, you know, this is, you know, the Lark cast is in your hands and we're having conversation about 
what are some of your questions? What are some of your ideas? What are some of your, your thoughts? Last week was about some misconceptions about grace, which we always get. And I would say very closely tied to that, if not in the same flipping question in the same breath comes these questions. What about transformation? What about obedience? What about all these, you know, passages? I just wanted to be, I just wanted to just be careful to say that because we kind of jumped right into uh, the conversation and, and help. and, And we got rid of all the banter um, this week, which I know there's some people out there that are like, yes, they got into it right away. No laughing and tomfoolery. I appreciate that. And so we know who you are out there. Those who just, you know, fast forward 10 minutes, uh, just to get into the, the meat. So we're, we're doing you a solid today. Yeah. And it's this, and for, for our large audience that loves, that loves the banter, (laughs) a chance to laugh on the way to work before they dive in. Um, Right. We uh we love you and appreciate you and and uh, hopefully we can drop some <laughs> drop some some funnies along the way. <laughs> yeah, so we are we're we're having this conversation around transformation because sometimes if you really take Jesus's words seriously and you preach grace um, in an unadulterated way without the buts and without the fine print, it can sound like you are being really disparaging to things that are are good because Jesus's audience um, primarily were the ones who thought they were good and thought they were in because they were good. Right. And so we always feel these questions of, well, don't you believe in transformation? Shouldn't we pursue holiness? Shouldn't we, you know, what about all the, you know, the commands that we see, you know, in the scripture. So this talk want- of forgiveness, of grace, you know, the way you guys have been unpacking through all these parables and what God is really like, according to Jesus, like, like, man, we got to be careful with that, don't we? Don't we need to kind of like hold that, you know, sort of in our back pocket, you know, because, you know, there's, it seems like there, there's a list of things that Jesus has called us to that we need to get pretty serious about, man. And so that, yeah. Because I don't know, man, I guess the best way to put it is people just feel a real tension there. And I, which we get, we've, yeah. we've been there. Um, but I think we do find ourselves looking at it and going, but this is no different than what Jesus faced, right? As he, as he taught us, there's a, the, the thing in us, man, that, that spirit of self-reliance, that desire for control really wants a list. It's, it wants so a list. on that. I will, I will say this, that I think one of the big misunderstandings here, something that we, I think maybe we touched on last week. I don't think we really got into it. It's like, if you think sin are these like lowercase s, like little sins, you know, like my anger or my lust or right. my greed or, you know what I'm saying? Kicking dogs or whatever, you know, whatever it, it might be, these little lowercase s like behavioral type things you can try really really hard and set up a bunch of hedges for yourself to make improvements in those areas you really can yeah i've i've seen it i've done it right all the rest and we set up all these hedges i think for for guys for males the big thing was you know sexual morality and how to you know avoid that but what you just brought up sin like at its core like capital s sin like the thing that is inherently broken about us the thing which led you know adam and eve 
to, you know, distrust and pursue life outside of him who is life. Um, that is something that we cannot fix about ourselves. We yeah. cannot fix that part of us that distrust God, that distrust others, that has a massive trust in our ability to get it together. So if you are thinking that sin is primarily just these little behavioral things and progress and growth is maybe kind of like managing or minimizing or limiting or eradicating like those things altogether, mm-hmm. you really have, I would say, um, a very limited understanding of what the bible refers to as sin yes yes i think that's a good place to start in the question of like what do you do man with transformation what do you do with all these things that we see in the scriptures that we've been called into obedience as you said and immediately i think where our minds go myself included is as you said we go right into the like the list of little sins that we're struggling with and thinking, man, following Jesus is, is finding a way to overcome these things. That's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And if I don't, right, well, then apparently I don't really believe or, you know, and we can go down the list or I'm not really serious or I'm not committed. Um, and I think uh, the best place to start, dude, is with that understanding, like you said, of little, little s sins, right, versus the nature of sin within mankind. I always say, like, everyone sort of finds their start and their understanding of what goes on in the garden. So if you see Adam and Eve as uh, if you see what Adam and Eve did as a, an, an act of disobedience at its core, then better decisions and how to make better decisions becomes the way forward. All right. But if you look in the scriptures and see, no, 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 at the core of what Adam and Eve did was an act of distrust. They believe that they were missing out. God cannot be trusted. My humanity is something I need to overcome. So in that act of distrust, um, what happened is they literally, they, they didn't have, they didn't find distance with God. They developed a, a disease, which is why whatever happened to them just keeps happening to every person throughout all the time. I don't know. I've said that before, but I just get something to keep in front of us. This, this spirit of self-reliance runs in our veins. I think looking at like little ways that that distrust expresses itself like the old Testament mm-hmm. refers to it as, as transgressions. Like we transgress the law, which we've gotten right. into the law and I'm not going to get into it here, but it's all the ways in which we fail to do the things we're supposed to do. And we do the things we ought not to do. That's transgression. Right. But there's also this other old Testament word, which is iniquity, which speaks mm-hmm. to this, like deep down in the heart, deep in the bones, deep down in the human soul, a twistedness and brokenness that we just cannot fix. Yeah. Yeah. So like a, like an alcoholic, right. As AA says, will always be an alcoholic. According to the scriptures, sinners will always be sinners until they breathe their last on this side of eternity. Right. Okay. It doesn't mean that we're not forgiven sinners. It does not mean that we are not sinners who now have a new identity as people who live and dwell in Jesus, who is life. Mm-hmm. All right. But that spirit of self-reliance still runs in our veins. Yeah. You're not going to overcome this. Uh, one of the ways I love the way Jameson says it, we have a disease that we cannot exercise our way out of. Mm-hmm. Think about that. We have a disease that we cannot exercise, strategize, moralize our way out of and god hasn't asked us to Mm -hmm. 
So this struggle is always going to be there. So the life in front of us isn't overcoming our humanity. The life in front of us is learning to trust Jesus as we walk with God. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yes, transformation is good and beautiful. And as we'll get into um, from the scriptures, which I think is really helpful, man, in light of this question that keeps coming at us, um, is just seeing that transformation at its core is something that happens to us. Mm -hmm. It is something that happens to us. It's mm -hmm. not something that happens with us. It's something that oftentimes happens with right in spite of us, but it's definitely something that happens to us. It's a work of the spirit, the helper that Jesus referred to. And according to the scriptures, the helper doesn't need our help. <laughs> like, like God's not bothered, you know what I mean? By these things as much as he's, I think he's trying to help us see that, look, you can go, if you want to be an extortioner or an adulterer, like, like it's something people always refer to, um, you could do these things, but it's never going to work out well for you. In other words, like when God's saying, don't do something, he's not, uh, like some disgruntled dad who just loves to have rules that he hopes his kids break so he can punish them because he's miserable about his own childhood. All right. When God's saying, don't do something, he's, he's literally looking at us and going, Hey, I made you, you're human. There's something beautiful about this, this experience as a human. All right. When you go walk in those things, you actually fail to be fully human. You actually fail to experience what it means to be fully alive. So that's why I'm saying, don't do this. And you fail to treat lose. others as humans too. Yeah, that's what, yeah, you, you eventually like lose harmony with, with, with God because you're, you're walking in a way that's opposite of, of him, but mm -hmm. you're also losing harmony with those in and around you because in your acts, you literally bring harm, not just to you, but to others. Mm -hmm. So he's of course, naturally not encouraging us. like go run in these things. My grace is sufficient as much as he's saying, my grace is sufficient for you as you still struggle with these things. Because yeah. the nature of what stands between us, I've already dealt with on the cross. Right. And so by thinking that it's our behavior and our performance um, is the thing that moves the needle of God's love, or our performance and our behavior is the thing that determines the distance or the mm. closeness, right? Between yeah. us and God. We're, that's where we that's where we get you know, phrases like, man, I just feel like I'm really far from God. And man, yeah. I'm just like, you know, man, I've just been, man, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really, really, really far, you know, from him, yep. which like, yeah, dude, if like, if you're looking at your performance, you could probably come to the conclusion that that is, you know, the case. If you're trusting in the words of Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. to come and see that you're actually hidden and united in yeah. Christ, right? You yeah. will, you know, definitely find a different story. But I wonder if this is why the accusation of hypocrisy is such a it's such an easy, low-hanging fruit accusation against mm. the church, is because we have so married this idea of behavior, performance, transformation, and obedience to what it means to be a Christian and the message of Christianity that we can't naturally help ourselves that we're gonna eventually do <laughs> the thing that we say we uh, others ought not to do and we yeah. ought not to do. And so if you yep. think hypocrisy is I do the thing that 
you know, I say not to do, or there's inconsistency with me. Right. Or if, if you, if that's your definition of hypocrisy, well, then we're all hypocrites. Everybody does that. Every single, every single person, person. dude, even back when I was like partying, like hard, all my buds, like after a night of party and they're like, Oh dude, I'm never doing that again. And lo and behold, next weekend, here we are again, doing the same thing. So we all have massive inconsistencies, but I think what you're saying, speaking to this, like inward brokenness, this sin, this iniquity that is in all of us. It's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look nice, bright, and white. You, you're mm. like a you're like a you're like a big tomb with a freshly fresh coat of paint, but yeah. inside you're full of you're full of death. And yeah. I take that to mean the hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to is you're trying to mask your inward brokenness by outward religious posturing. You're trying to act as if you're not broken by be you know by performing all these things, doing all this religious stuff. And you're, you're putting on airs to the world as if you're not broke. Yeah. That's a great way to put it, man. That's a, that's a great explanation to the, to hide the inward brokenness. They, they mask themselves with outward religious performance. Yeah. And don't realize like the actual nature of what's going on here. And of course, all their religious performance, like we would look at it and say, that's so fantastic. Um, is actually worth nothing. Yeah. According, uh, according to uh, a number of passages, but I love like the word hypocrisy that you brought up because at its core, the definition is, is it, 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 it plays right into the idea of being an actor to be a hypocrite is to be an actor. All right. Actor is an is a term in, in referencing identity, right? Not action. So it's not uh, it's not the 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 work of acting. It's the role, the life, okay, the identity of an actor. So if you come along and say, "Yeah, man, I follow Jesus," and um, and then you, of course you have some areas in your life that you you know that don't line up with what's you know everybody around you know thinks that you should be doing. Then you get told like, "Well, you're a hypocrite." That's why I don't want anything to do with the church as much hypocrites. And it's like, you no, know, actually, we're we're all hypocrites in according to how you're seeing it. To be a Christian is not to no longer struggle with things. That's why I feel like the the church would do itself a, a great service if it just got up front every Sunday and went, "Welcome." to uh welcome to this party of hypocrites who came together and just go ahead and just say it like in terms of what people are thinking is hypocrite yeah we are that but if we take the word truly at what it means okay and go no to be a christian to take on the identity that is found in jesus by believing in the one in whom god sent which is the will of the father according to jesus that's what made me a christian not what I do or don't do, but by my belief that Jesus is my only hope. Mm-hmm. And dude, there's something really freeing about that because then we don't have to be like the Pharisees, these whitewashed tombs that are running around constantly trying to touch up the tomb that we're walking around in and see to yeah. it that it looks all shiny for everybody. And instead, we, act, we get to be what we really are, yeah. broken people with trust issues, right? learning to trust Jesus. And no longer in need to hide anything. In fact, we actually get to be pretty transparent about it mm-hmm. and invite other people to drop the project itself that they're dying under 
mm-hmm. enjoy enjoying the party, man. Yeah. And if you think Christianity is all about transformation because you actually listened to your pastor and believed him, which go to your average, you know, church on any corner in somewhere USA and you'll get yeah. that idea. And so, you know, you, you buy hook line sinker into this man. If I come to him, my life's going to be changed and you have mm-hmm. a moment of emotion and like all this other stuff and you can ride it, you know, pretty high for about a week, week and a half. But before long, like reality sets in. Yeah. It's no different than like the church camps, you know, I used to go to growing up and I became Mm -hmm. a Christian like every summer, dude, growing up, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Every summer. And so if you think it's about transformation, then you're you're just going to be spending a lot of time just like covering up the real truth about yourself. Yeah, man, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, I get, I get how easy it is to, to turn Christianity into this idea that it's like morality and action. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or Christianity is the religion of doing, you could literally say it's become like the, the religion for the winners in the world who are really serious about loving God and loving their neighbor as themselves. But dude, when you dive in, that's not what we find, man. We actually find the opposite. Christianity is a fellowship for the losers who have given up on their ability to truly love God and love their neighbor as themselves. That's what the whole, all the parables that Jesus told were pointing to. And for whatever reason, which we've already sort of, you know, pointed to a, a, you know, a myriad of them, I guess you could say, there's this thing in us that eventually rejoices in that. But then there's this old man, right? you know, this old sin nature, that, that spirit of self-reliance starts really barking loud, man. It's like, no, 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 hold on though. What are we doing with transformation, obedience? What do we do with all these other scriptures, right? That Jesus has called us to. There's this thing in us, dude, that makes every effort to interpret Jesus's words. Like when that old man speaks out, when that fear of our exposed weakness comes out, when the when we start to think that we might lose our place of belonging with our tribe because of where we are in the, in the moral compass, the standards, we start to make every effort to interpret Jesus's words, okay, to return them to the realm of the possible. Mm-hmm. That's literally what I find that we do, man. We, we, we start to bend the scriptures so that they fit within our capacity to meet them. And so we, so we literally will, and I've done this so long, we'll ignore all the parables that Jesus just told. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, telling us what God is like, all get thrown out. And we just start grabbing onto some verses and treating them like they're these islands that exist in and of themselves, that mm-hmm. they somehow exist as a truth independent of all that Jesus has been declaring. Okay. And I feel like we actually start to miss out on this fun, mischievous nature of God that's driving us somewhere on purpose, right? He's like literally leading us somewhere on purpose. And so what I just want to propose to anybody who's going, man, what do we do with transformation? All these teachings of Jesus, the call to obedience, what do we do with that? And I feel like if we stop and look at what Jesus is saying, we're going to find that he is deliberately provoking a crisis of capacity in humanity. 
The Sermon on the Mount, dude, is a great place to go to, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus, right out of the gate in his teaching ministry, intentionally seems to be provoking a crisis of capacity for humanity, all right? He starts to literally reveal to us that what morality demands isn't sufficient for what we actually need, all right? Mm-hmm. You could even go further and say that Jesus wants us to feel like moral failures. He literally wants us to feel like moral failures. He wants the law to do exactly what Paul referred to it. Okay. It's role as let it be the ministry of death. Yeah. And I think, dude, there's some passages that always get thrown out. Like, what do I do with this? To which case I'm like, well, let's, let's take a look at that. Mm-hmm. let's look at Matthew five, when Jesus talks about anger. All right. You think because you haven't murdered anybody, you know what I mean? Physically that you haven't broken the commandments and not murder. But man, Jesus said like, dude, if you even hated your brother man, you're guilty of this. So, you know, what are you going to do with that? So we're like, well, man, I got to get, I got to get a hold of my anger, dude. Following Jesus is like, I can't even think an ill will of someone. Right. Or, or I'm, or I'm guilty of this. Yeah. If you hear in the sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't have any part of the kingdom. Look, if you feel like that's like a call, like, yeah, you know, to start like, all right, this is a possible and B, I better start like really seriously you know, getting serious, you know, about this. I think, yeah, I think you're missing what he's doing there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you can go on like we just, right. We were just recently with somebody who's an elder in a church who just baptized somebody, a young lady was baptized right after she was baptized. She was immediately hit by another group of elders who started walking her down the checklist of what she was going to need to get serious about if she was going to follow Jesus. Right. Right pointing to the passages like, man, right here, it says, let your yes be yes. Man, you better let your yes be yes and your no be no. You better get really serious about, you know, being committed to the people that are here. You got to get real serious about that anger issue that you're struggling with. Oh, and that thing that we know about, like your struggles with lust. Yeah, Jesus was pretty serious about that one. He even literally went on and said, like, man, if you're struggling with this, you better go ahead and pluck out one of your eyes, maybe even cut off one of your hands you know, to handle this. There's a dude I discipled in Chicago, bro, who started discipling a friend of his. This is a true story. The dude got so wasted and dealing with the scriptures, man, and not knowing what to do with his life and struggling with that passage about lust. Homie literally tried to cut off his own hand. Really? Yeah, bro. Dude. Like down to the ER in the hospital for days and all true story. That's the dude standing on the stage who's holding up a sign that says, uh, you know, lustful, then flips it over with one arm and says, now one handed and victorious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And and we cheer for that. And I'm like, do you really think Jesus is advocating self-mutilation here? Is this really where we're at? Because, you know, you have another eye and another hand. And if you want to really follow this and get rid of all of them, well, now you've got this thing called a memory that you get to operate off of. (laughs) In other words, he's 
literally provoking a crisis of capacity. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, it's what do you think the will of God is? Like, where do yeah. you think he's moving you? If it's to realize you just don't have it and to realize that God became flesh to do it, to finish it, to be mm -hmm. it, all of it, and everything we've ever needed is found in him and to cast ourselves on him, to trust him, to embrace him, however you want to phrase that idea of faith. Um, if that's where you think he's moving us, then that's how you're going to, you're going to interpret those words in that lens. Yeah. If you think that he is preparing a holy army, that's going to be shining examples in the world of speech and behavior um, to show no chinks in the armor so that all the world can just look up and see, Oh my gosh, look at these people. Mm -hmm. Do they maintain their grass? They pay their taxes. Their kids are amazing. Their marriages are perfect. Their they finances are in order. They're they got, you know, good vocabulary <laughs> they don't cuss um man i want to be like that yeah he, yeah it's Jesus like everyone's trying say, to be ted lasso <laughs> i haven't seen that show by the way so, but everyone's been so. telling me to, to check it out um it, you know jesus didn't say come come to me all who are winners and wholly serious about getting it together come come to me all who are weary yeah. And heavy laden and burdened, yep. burdened with, you know, trying to, trying to get it together. And so when we look at this, we look at this conversation of transformation, um, change and even obedience one on the transformation and the change side, I'm cool with that. Like I said, I've experienced it. I know friends who have experienced that too. And I really get to rejoice when they tell those stories and are really truly experiencing that and not taking the role of an actor and acting as if, you know, they're transformed and maintaining this theater, right? Mm -hmm. Playing out this theater as if they've arrived like true, genuine, you know what I'm saying? Transformation. Like, man, I used to just like give myself, you know, to these things and man, he changed my heart. He changed my desires as it relates to this particular thing. I, I hear stories like that all the time. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's awesome. Hey, amen. And, but I also know those same people aren't transformed across the board because no, no one is man. You know what I'm saying? Like no one's mm. transformed across the board and praise him for his grace in those, in those areas. But I think what we're talking about is we're talking about like an obsession with transformation. We're talking about like the expectation of transformation that we're able to even control our transformation and then you get into churches who are selling and marketing transformation and they're mm -hmm. promising it yeah like dude they're yeah. one of the biggest churches in my area like they just put out a, a blitz of billboards around town change happens mm -hmm. here yep change happens here yeah yeah dude last uh last week while i was working out of my office which is a bar stool and uh, there's a local guy that's a friend of mine. I've been hanging out with. He's a business owner. Came walking in. He's like, "Hey, man, I got to go to this cigar tasting event. It's put on by some lawyers and business owners in in town here. 
you want, um, I got an extra ticket, man. I'd love for you to come and hang out, meet a bunch of people. And I was like, sure, dude, but I, I don't live in that world. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm just, I'm gonna put you down as our spiritual advisor for our company. Right. We laughed. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So I go and naturally I meet these guys and I have different people coming up to me and a number of people who, um, who are lawyers in our area, when they found out what I do for a living, they all had questions, man, about, well, like, what do I need to do, man, to inherit eternal life? Literally, what does it really mean to follow after Jesus? Because I've been told my whole life, it's, 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 I got to get real serious, as you said, an obsession about transformation. I've been sold this, I've been promised this, uh, there's some things that I still wrestle with. So I'm really starting to question God, or maybe it's just, man, I'm just not even like, I'm just not cut out like just genuine wrestlings, man. And it was funny because like we actually got in that story about the rich young ruler, you know, what he felt like he needed to do. And I don't need to unpack that whole story, but you know, they started wrestling with like, well, I mean, I know Jesus said like sell everything and give it to the poor, you know, but I mean, that's a, you know, that's a little hard to do. So, but I have been given to this, this cause over here. And then we do sponsor a, a child, man, for $35 a month you know, with world vision. And I couldn't help it, man. I was like, well, based off what Jesus said, I mean, he didn't say a hundred dollars a month or a good deed a day. He, he said everything, bro. So if you're serious about transformation and you're wrestling where you are and, and, you know, on that spectrum, then I want to consider selling it all, bro. And this dude's like, man, I'll be homeless and hungry. Like if I go do that, <laughs> like that's going to actually be wrong for my own family. I would put my own children in harm's way. And I was like, so you mean what morality demands eventually ceases to be moral altogether? And dude, you would have thought his eyes, man, would have popped out of his head. He goes, wait a second. So Jesus is maybe driving me to something far greater and far different than just getting more serious about upping my obsession with the expectation of transformation that I was handed. Yeah, bro. Yeah, it seems to go far beyond that. Hmm. And so I would literally say, dude, that the obsession and expectation of transformation has led to a perversion of what transformation actually is, okay? And how it actually happens in accordance to what God has said versus what we heard. Yeah, it's a cheap inversion. It's a low fat, you know, yep. no sugar, no calories version of transformation. Because, um, <clears throat> yeah, it um, if you're able to act it out, yeah. If you're able to act it out, um, man, I wonder how, you know, authentic it is. So it's cheap. It's cheap transformation. That's a great point. Great. Last point, week man. we talked about that people accuse us of cheap grace. Well, first of all, it's not cheap. It's free. So you've already ruined grace if you call it cheap. So that's the first, <laughs> that's the first thing. Yeah. Um, but the, you, the other thing is like you it's cheap grace when you soften the blow of grace. You have like, do you have, do you have any idea of how violent 
and how disruptive the announcement of no condemnation in Christ is to a world obsessed with doing good. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the morality police, the people literally thinking that morality and action is what it means to follow God. Uh, it was for that very reason. All right. For that reason, out of morality, their duty was to put an end to that message that you just said, to put an end to Jesus. Morality murdered Jesus. So yeah, dude, when you soften what the law actually demands, which is what Jesus is driving us to in those couple of things that I brought up out of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you soften that, you, you, man, you, you really do cheapen grace. But when you don't, and you see the crisis of capacity Jesus is creating, that's driving us to what he declares is the actual will of God, which is that we would trust, that we would believe, that we would enter back into the relationship that he made us for by believing in the son. Then, bro, that grace not only starts to become free, it becomes something that you and I could never afford. And it is straight up life-giving, man. And I think it's out of that that starts to help us see like, oh, so now we can start to look at what transformation really is and how it really happens. Mm-hmm. Which, and you we know, can I- start to see where it comes from and yep. who to trust in it because we're seeing our identity. We are knowing our position. We know what's really going on. This mm-hmm. isn't us ascending up a mountain. This is us actually connecting with Jesus down in our deaths. Right. He met us in death. He did not meet us at the top of a mountain with gold medals. He met us in our greatest place of need. And the work that he's doing is described in the New Testament with all all those verses that Paul brings. He's writing with just, you know, vivid clarity of what it means, man, you know, to be imitators of this to actually watch this good news and this love make it out into our hands and into our feet is a good work that he's doing in our lives. And I'm just going to stop right there because that's going to take us down a whole other whole, path. And maybe we'll, whole other path. we'll save it for, we'll save it for next week. But um, yeah, just, yeah, we just wanted to remind you guys, you know, maybe even lay the groundwork here for a conversation in the future. Um, and don't be tricked, man. Don't be deceived you know, into moving away, you know, from grace, like those Gentiles, man, they were deceived. They were bewitched. People came in with arguments of holiness and arguments of law and arguments of morality. And they were so easily swayed and moved away from right. The finished work of Jesus. Don't be like the Galatians. You were running so well, Paul said you were running in freedom, running in grace. And someone came in and just tricked you, man, and deceived you. And started yeah. mingling, mingling performance and mingling the theology of glory and mingling transformation in with that. So stand I love firm. His, I love stand his question. Firm. So let me get this straight. You who began in the spirit are now all of a sudden going to go carry this thing out by the will of your flesh. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> who has bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who yeah. deceived you? Yeah, man, let's get into that, dude, in part two. Let's unpack like what transformation really is according to the scriptures and how it 
truly happens according to the scriptures. Because, man, I feel like it's in that that you really can stand firm. And you get to really experience what it means to be surprised by change. Right. And, bro, that, man, what a journey. So until next time. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.